Good afternoon everyone and welcome to today's Friday follow-up. The podcast brought to you by, of course, Equine Devil's Advocate. Goodness, where does the time go? Uh, no sunshine today as, yes, we did have a mini beast from the east, a little one. A smattering of snow and some minus temperatures, but certainly not too terrible though. Today brings, of course, more of the curse of Tutankhamun and the follow-up of your correspondence in answer to Monday's question, which was, what constitutes a good fit for you? And how do you identify a good fit between horse and rider? Great correspondence as ever, and please do keep them coming. I just want to do a very brief recap for those of you that are new. Uh, We are, of course, a debate and discussion platform where you are all welcome to have your say and tell your stories and your experiences. You can do this by visiting our website, which is www.equinedevilsadvocate.com, all one word. Choose your page. You'll find there's hot stuff, biscuit and koya. And then, yeah, jump on your keyboard and submit. All your emails and details are private, read only by us. And if you would like, you can, of course, leave public messages on Podbean or Facebook or, alternatively, privately on Facebook. There is also our contact page for you to use if there is anything that you would like to put forward for discussion, your specialist topic choice, And all podcast episodes are available on the podcast page. So, please do share and like. Many thanks. So, let's take a gander at your correspondence. And the question, of course, how does one identify a good fit? Is it instant? Is it time and bonding? Is it both? Is it a heart thing or a head thing? Here's one from a lady that says, I feel it's a bit of both. There can be an instant attraction from the first time they see their horse and maybe at first there isn't much attraction in the horse and the rider. But the more you learn, the more you trust, the more you stay with the horse, there is this amazing bond which builds up and is something that only horse and rider can have. Here's another one. I think that An instant attraction can happen and make a good fit between horse and rider if you really know what you're looking for in a horse and have spent the time to really put into place the baselines of what you want. My first horse was an instant attraction from the first time I saw him as I believe we have the same personality which has created the strongest bond and trust between us. I enjoy dressage and he is not built for this but we make it work in our own way. A good fit is based not on riding-wise, but on understanding and love. However, I do feel that a good fit between horse and rider can also be built on instant attraction and trust and bond. I think if you don't click with a horse, a lot of work can help this. I have found this personally with my new horse. I don't think we have the best personality match at the moment, but I think she will be a great dressage horse, which is what I want to do. So lots of hard work and trust and learning to understand her will make us a good fit. 
And another lady says, I was certainly attracted to my horse as he is stunning with immense presence. I don't think that alone would have involved, evolved into a good relationship without trust and bonding. My yard neighbour was attached to her horse and has needed to build trust and understanding. The mare is not everyone's cup of tea. Flighty and turned hormonal with little focus and concentration. But her young rider has built a true bond. They are complete opposites but work so well together. The horse trusts that her owner will not force her into an outline. She has worked hard to hold her own body position rather than the reins and they spend hours hacking, stopping to eat the hedge and gazing over the surrounding countryside together. They are both so happy. Now I've chosen this one because I think it sort of epitomises a whole different type of fit. Here's a fit where the horse leads and the rider follows. It's a fit so good, but it starts actually in the job and in the work, in the task at hand. So let me read this one to you. I was looking for a new horse for my 16 year old son. He had had his first lesson at 13 years old and had been doing most of his riding on our family mare, Blue, an Irish draft type. His chosen sport was tetrathlon, a sport of four events which are shooting, swimming, running and cross-country riding. As he was a big lad, it was starting to begin to be too much of an ask for Blue, so we decided to find him a new horse. We saw several, but I just couldn't make a connection with them. They were just not right for us and our criteria. We then heard through a friend of a horse that may suit us. So we went and we met the horse. His name was Cudlick Ossie. We were slightly nervous of the whole thing as our son had not actually done a huge amount with our mare and certainly nothing terribly big or technical. There he was, this beautiful, enormous, bright chestnut gelding. He was presented to us. The guy who was selling him, quite a little chap, just vaulted on and took him to the school and proceeded, after warming up, to jump the most enormous fences. Then he popped my son on. Whilst I was having kittens, I kept saying, please, put the jumps down. They're far too big for my son right at this moment in time. They sailed over them, as I watched through fingers over my eyes. Then I heard the chap say, just jump him out of the arena. No, I said, absolutely not. But neither seller, son nor horse paid me any attention. And they did just that, jumped straight out of the arena. This was a horse that had been bred to show jump and had actually been eventing. And I had come dressed to ride as I fully intended to try the horse myself for peace of mind. But that was a complete no-no. I wasn't allowed, especially after having been so protective over the size of the jumps. So I was dispatched to the local garden centre to have a coffee and stop fussing, whilst they went off to have some more fun. When I returned, it was a done deal. The seller said, I'm coming your way. In two weeks, if you don't like him, I'll have him back. My son was over the moon. 
It was an absolute instant connection and a perfect fit from the outset. Regional qualifiers for Pony Club Intermediate Championships were where he was aiming and it wasn't too far away. We walked the course, it was much bigger than I had expected and popping rescue remedy into my mouth like no tomorrow, we walked over to the very big technical water complex. I said to my son, take the alternative. He had never jumped anything as big as that and as technical as that before and I didn't know the horse. But they were having none of it. They went the direct route, foot perfect. It was just so clear watching them. Sit still, don't interfere, put him on his line and leave everything to that horse. How I love that horse. Still with us, now in retirement. Now, people, I actually have a little confession because I know this horse and I know that he truly is an absolute masterclass in the category of a schoolmaster. But the interesting thing about him is that never ever even try and tell him what to do because it does not end well. And so you see, that begs another question. What type of schoolmaster are you looking for? Do you, as the rider, have the calmness and the trust to just put yourself entirely in the hands of a new horse and not feel the need to control and influence? Do you have the trust to be a perfect passenger? And here's another one I've chosen. It's along the same theme. It's the schoolmaster theme. This lady said, I was looking for a dressage schoolmaster. I heard of a horse that had been competing at Pre-Saint George, an intermediaire, and had actually also been on the team selection trials. He was only 13, so I went to see him. The lady selling him on behalf of the owner started with a warning. She said to me, look, before you get on him, in all fairness, I have to let you know that if he doesn't like you, he will deck you. It is as simple as that. You cannot wear spurs and I am going to put his drawings on. It's very personal who he likes and who he doesn't. And there is no way he is going to somebody who he doesn't like because he will be a nightmare. This lady goes on to say, I am very wussy, but for some reason I wasn't put off at all by this, which is most unlike me. I went into the stable with him and I felt fine. So I got on, I rode him round, realising very quickly he knew far more than I did. The lady selling him said, that's really interesting. He obviously actually really likes you. So, subject to full vetting, I decided to buy him. When I went to collect him and pay for him, the seller said, I really hope you don't mind me asking this, but I just, I know him so well. Could you please just ride him just once more so I can be absolutely sure it is the right decision for both of you and he is not going to deck you. So I said, fine. I rode him and he was great. I took him home. He was fine. 
until one day I rode up to a little gate. As I stopped him to open the gate, he reared right up, vertical. It terrified me. I was in absolute floods of tears and I said, don't do that, don't do, you cannot do that. If you do that, I cannot ride you, I cannot keep you, I cannot cope with that. And actually, he never did it again. Not very long after having bought him, we went to our first competition, an advanced medium, and we won. A well-known judge spoke to me afterwards and said, Wow, do you know, it's really nice to see him looking so good. Many, many times I have actually seen his party piece, which was to come down the centre line, halt and stand bolt upright. This lady says, I didn't actually know that when I bought him, but we went from strength to strength and he always looked after me. He was always in charge. He liked me, so he would work for me, always. He was my superstar. Oh, I need a tissue. It says, rest in peace, athlete. Forever my superstar. Oh, my goodness. I did not expect that. Wow. Oh, goodness me. Pull yourself together. Yes, absolutely. Right, moving on. And we'll end with this one, because this one, actually, I can so relate to, and I think this lady absolutely nailed it. Hit it right on the head. She wrote, I think an instant attraction is fun, but what really matters to me the most is the way our energy and personalities relate to one another. I own two fjord mares here in Clifton, Virginia. The older one called Nora is a 20-year-old schoolmistress who love in life is packed around my three and five-year-old daughters on long, slow trail rides or an hour of steady circles in our ring. The other fjord, called Fancy, is a four-year-old sporty build firecracker who keeps me on my toes. I love her energy on the ground and in the saddle and her eagerness to learn new things. Fancy gets bored quickly and acts out, where the seasoned schoolmistress, Nora, is content just to munch her hay and ignore the pokes and silly shenanigans of the children. Each horse is a vital part of our family and holds a different place in my heart. I was always attracted to fjords, but individuality of both my mares is what makes them, not just that they're pretty to look at. I absolutely agree with you. Any fjord I have ever met is so full of character and personality. They're fabulous horses. Thank you, everybody, for your correspondence. It's very welcome. And as I say, please do keep them coming. So you see, people, a good fit is actually as diverse as we are, individual, horse and human alike. We've just heard examples of family and interaction. We have examples of time and understanding to create a bond. We have the initial spark of compatibility, followed by learning and exploring the true depths of the personalities. The example of a wussy lady rider on a big, fully trained powerhouse of a horse. And we have the unerring trust of a teenage boy. All of them work. All of them are success stories. So, in conclusion, a great fit starts with the head on paper. 
know yourself, your personality, your expectations and your limitations. Know your strengths and your weaknesses and above all, what you want from that horse. The head then goes to the heart. The emotional joy, that buzz you feel meeting and riding that horse for the first time. That connection on whichever level you feel it. And maybe even just being around that horse. Well, more often than not, it is actually the feeling in our heart that will overrule the thoughts of our head. The very best of fit will always be when the heart and the head say the same. Yes, this is right for us, both of us, me and this horse. And so, let us continue. Yes, a further episode of The Curse of Tutankhamun. At this point in the story, we have arrived. We are at the most special place, the Rangers of Senalaga at Pony Club Camp. A first for myself and my brother, but clearly not a first for my perfect pony. Now, as it were a military camp, it was also run with military precision. It was, in fact, the one annual opportunity to have access to the best instructors and take our pony club tests under the tutelage of the highest trained examiners during that week. In the centre of this camp, the long row of 20 temporary stables back to back, 40 altogether. Staked into the grass on either side, a freshly painted white sign. In large black letters, it read, Pony Lines. Large, dark green tents to the far right, all numbered and allocated with girls' tents. To the left of the pony lines, more tents. The mess tent, where all our food was prepared by military chefs. Another feed tent, where all the hay, bedding and feed was stored. And then further to the left, a watchtower that was manned at night. And to the far left, there were the boys' tents and their facilities and the on-site instructor's accommodation. Uh Somebody was thinking ahead there. Forty ponies, eighty children, eight years old to sixteen years old, and no parents. Our first night all snuggled up in huge, thick, down-filled, camouflaged sleeping bags with hoods. We slept really, really well, and morning came round so quickly. First task. All children lined up facing their ponies at the pony lines, precisely ten paces away. Then, instructions were given in a loud, clear voice. Water buckets out. One of each sharing pair collected the water buckets from each stable, tipped them out, cleaned them, and then refilled them from the water bowser tanks that had been towed in. As soon as the water buckets were out, the instruction, wheelbarrows in. And so, second child would begin mucking out. All the stables were tidy. The instruction, water in, followed. Then both children to the feed tent to collect our pre-prepared pony breakfast and hay net. Again, 
we lined up for inspection of our stables. Only when all was in order came the instruction, feed in. And so in went the feed bowls. Feed child was then instructed to collect their plates, cutlery and go to the mess tent for first sitting of breakfast. Second child had to wait until Penny had finished its breakfast, then collect the feed bowl, then came the instruction, hay nets in. Only after returning a clean feed bowl to the feed tent could they go and collect their plates and cutlery and go to breakfast, second sitting. Now, my brother, thinking himself terribly smart, was trying to work out which tasks would allow him to get to breakfast first. But someone was thinking ahead, because whatever was done one day was swapped the next. Second to breakfast the first day became first to breakfast the next day. We were all divided into groups. All full of our hearty English breakfast, we collected our tack from Takram tent and dressed to ride. We then met back at the pony lines. Those that rode first were introduced to their group and instructor. Those that weren't riding were taken to a seated area for their theory lesson. Mid-morning brought a break for the ponies to rest a while and we were given a snack of a big, fresh, warm jam donut and access to urns of jungle juice, lemon or orange. Now, if you have not tasted jungle juice, I can tell you it's a bit of a shock to the palate. It's sort of sharp and tart, but also slightly sweet. It's actually a bit like drinking sherbet. Not only that, it's also actually quite shocking to look at. It is fluorescent in colour. The lemon, a vivid chartreuse, and the orange, truly high-vis, practically bright enough to probably close the motorway at night and light it up for roadworks. Someone was thinking ahead. Fill these children full of sugar, and if not, they will be too exhausted to see the week out. And it'll be so easy to monitor their whereabouts at all times because they will probably glow in the dark. And so, my first lesson. Perfect pony, Tutankhamun, all pristine and tacked up, looking particularly angelic. Our group was organised, again, with military precision. Our instructress, with her detailed roll call on her clipboard, called out. Morning, children, she said. Now, please, hold up your hand when I call your name. Yes, good, she said, making ticks with her pen as she read down her list of names. Andrea with Bailey, yes, good. Uh, Anna and Monty, yes, and Claire with Bramble, yes, good, good as she read down her list until she said, Ah, Tutankhamun, ah, well, um, yes, right, um, okay, her pen scribbling, clearly more than just a tick for us. Nevertheless, all tat inspected and passed, off we went to our designated arena, 
marked out with white stakes and thick rope. Newly painted letters A, K, E, H, C, M, B, F. All King Edward's horses carried many brave fighters. We were taught how to remember them. We were all assessed in our position and the correct distance between each pony in front of us was a paramount importance. Our instructress said, Now children, let's have a look at you all in trot. But first, let's just have Tutankhamun brought to the centre of the arena. Yes, that's right dear, if you could just, just come here, yes, just come here to me. Yes, we're just going to have him stand with me whilst the others have a trot, she said, clamping her hand very firmly around the cheekpiece and noseband on one side of his bridle above the bit. The whole ride was instructed to go forward in rising trot while she appraised them and we stood with her in the centre of the arena. I felt terribly important and my pony was, of course, perfectly behaved. Then she instructed the whole ride to one end of the arena onto the inside track and each in turn to canter with a 20 metre circle at A. She appraised, encouraged and gave snippets of advice to each rider in turn, all the while with a hand clamped very firmly to my pony's bridle. All done, whole ride, back to walk. She let go of my bridle, picked up her clipboard from the floor and made notes with her pen. She then turned to me and said, Now, would you like to try a little trot, perhaps? Well, yes, I said. She responded, Ah, right, oh, okay. Now, children, could you all please just come to the centre of the arena as Tutankhamun is now going to, um, um, trot, I, I hope. Whilst I walked to the outside track, all the others she gathered to her closer and closer, saying things like, yes, well done, dear, um, just a little closer, yes, bring all your ponies, yeah, closer, dear, that's good, come closer, closer, yes, yes, well done, but no, no, now, now don't let your ponies stop grooming each other like that, no, no, dear, pick up, pick up your reins and don't let your ponies sniff each other, yes, that's it, just, just line up close as you can, that's right, behind me, there you go. And how deftly she corralled these ponies behind her with outstretched arms and a sort of spread-eagled stance. Then she said to me, Now, are you sure you want to do this, dear? Okay, then, well, when you're ready, just quietly trot on. And so I did. Because, of course, I was feeling terribly special and so very, very important. We trotted and we cantered and executed what we hoped was our very, very best 20-metre circle in canter, all without incident, because, well, of course, my pony is truly perfect. And so our week progressed. So much to learn. We were taught of tack, different bits, how to break down a bridle and reassemble from scratch. We were taught of thorough and precise grooming techniques and first aid care. We were taught flat work, 
our alignment, our position, how to use our seat, how to use correct legates in transitions and outside rain contact and balance in circles and corners and serpentines. We had jumping lessons where we learned how to shorten the stride with raised poles in a short grid and lengthen the stride with a lengthened grid. We were taught of balance on our turns and changing direction over fences and all of this on my perfect beautiful golden pony. Evening time brought us a film that was projected onto a screen in the mess tent and before bed we had hot chocolate and cheese and marmalade sandwiches. Probably a nutritionist's nightmare but actually they taste really rather good. Afternoons brought games. One of my absolute favourites was Hare and Hounds. Now in this game we were split into groups of four, mounted on our ponies and groups of four that were on foot. The idea was to get from camp to the designated finish point without being caught. The sandy tracks on the ranges had been clearly marked out with ribbons on the trees. Children on foot started at the finish and headed back to camp. Mounted children started at camp and headed for the finish. Each group of four, mounted and on foot, had a raffle ticket. The mounted children had to stop if caught or challenged by the children on foot, and the highest number on the raffle ticket would win. If the mounted ticket were higher in number, then we could go on, continue our journey. If lower, we would have to go back to camp and start all over again. It was such fun. We were bombing around the woods, hiding from and trying to dodge those on foot and their raffle tickets and all that jungle juice, donuts and marmalade had made them surprisingly speedy. And truth be told, there was little chance of any of us getting lost as by now we probably all had fluorescent glows in bright daylight as well as in the dark. The following afternoon, we played the same game, but we swapped those who were mounted now on foot and vice versa. Full of energy, we leapt out from behind trees and ran as fast as we could to intercept the riders. And Tutankhamun, perfect in every way, on every new day, impeccably behaved, not only for me, but for my brother too. In every lesson, in every task, he was perfect. But, of course, it is unrealistic to expect such a big event to unfold without some sort of disruption. And yes, there was indeed disruption, and a lot of it, caused not by my beautiful, perfect golden pony, but actually by a word. Yes, people, a word. Because what I did not tell you is that outside the washing and toilet facilities, those tents, their big freshly painted sign did not say lavatories, showers and such like. No, that sign actually said ablutions. It became one of those words that caused us to die with laughter.
it became funnier and funnier to hear and say. In fact, children actually fell off their ponies laughing when someone else said a brute when they were trying to ride or jump. It was a word that we said in the dark at night in our sleeping bags and the whole tent would be crying with laughter. It is a word that someone would whisper under their breath during a theory lesson and we would fall off our chairs howling with laughter, our ribs aching and tears streaming down our faces. It was a word that got us into a lot of trouble. Yet it was just too funny, too funny to let that word go. Ablution. And all too soon, that week actually came to an end. Before long, it was show day and collection day. Our parents arrived to watch our little flatwork demonstrations that we'd worked so hard on, our show jumping, and to witness the award ceremonies. Pass certificates were handed to those who took and passed their pony club tests. Rosettes were given for all sorts of accolades. My brother and I both passed our first pony club test, the D test, and we were given our new badges, behind which sat a ring of yellow felt to be proudly worn on our jackets, and certificates and rosettes. And Tutankhamun, well, he actually won the highest accolade of all, the admiration of everyone at camp who knew him before. He was presented with the biggest white rosette, a certificate and a white and gold sash on which it was written, Most Improved Pony. Time to go home. All the hustle and bustle of collecting scattered belongings and saying goodbyes to old friends and new ones for another year hugging other ponies that we had become so fond of through the week, exhausted children and travel-ready ponies, all leaving to different destinations. And, as we were doing exactly that, my instructress came over and said to my mother, I have to tell you that I am absolutely dumbfounded by the complete transformation in that pony. I am so curious what exactly did you do? My mother, very nonchalantly, sort of replied, Well, we um, just uh, popped him on a lead rein for a bit and, uh, yeah, uh, changed his bit and, well, yeah, that was sort of it, really. But I, absolutely bursting with pride, sugar and a fluorescent glow, blurted, well, no, no, you see, there was more, so much more, there was gymnastics and an angel, some pillows and, and a belt and Una, there was her bedroom and squirrels, at which point my mother swiftly interjected, well, thank you so much, it's been absolutely lovely to meet you, uh, thank you so much for everything, the children have had an absolute ball, we really must be going now, because we've got such a long journey home, um, but again, thank you, and I'm absolutely delighted to have met you. And I was ushered very swiftly away from that conversation. And home we went, exhausted, but so very, very happy. And so, join us 
on Monday for what will be the final episode of The Curse of Tutankhamun. Until then, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, take care and we will speak soon.